Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by a panel of very experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, how to create high-performing teams. Before we delve deep into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some general introductions. So, we'll start with Birkin. Hi, yeah, uh, my name is Birgit Parkerson. Um, I have been last, last been a CTO with Vivino for the last nine and a half years. Uh, I come from a developer background, so I've been a backend developer and such for most of my career. Um, in my off time, Peter now? Yeah, let's, let's have an yeah. introduction of Peter. Cool, thanks. Uh, yeah, so my name is Peter Svensson and uh, I'm a Scrum Master working for the Danish pharmaceutical company Novo Nordisk. I've been in Novo Nordisk for the past eight years, uh, all of it in, in IT. And, and for the past four years, been working with the uh, agile product development teams, uh, building uh, software for internal uh, use in Novo Nordisk. So outside of work, I actually do spend a lot of time nerding uh, agile and organization. So really been looking forward to this uh, podcast and discussing this with you guys. So uh, yeah, and of course, spending time with my family and taking care of the house. That's me, Francesco. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Yeah, my name is Francesco Stavanato. I am uh, originally Italian, although I've been living in Denmark uh, most of my adult life. Uh, I can't even uh, count the years any longer. I think it's been 14 years so far. Uh, I work as an engineering project manager at Austed, uh, the most renewable energy company in the world, <laughs> where I take care of the design of the foundations for offshore wind structures, currently working on a project in, in the US. Uh, my background actually comes from uh, oil and gas, where I've worked uh, previously for several years, uh, until I then uh, changed my t-shirt like, uh, like Austed did when they rebranded themselves from Dong Energy to Austed. I did the same. I rebranded myself. I changed the t-shirt from uh, black to green and now here I am working in renewables. Uh, so in my free time, I, I, I do some voluntary work, uh, you know, charity work for, for the Red Cross. Uh, take care of it myself. I like doing fitness and climbing and I also volunteer for the LGBTQ plus community. So that's a bit about me. Thanks, Connor. Great stuff. Thank you for that. And Ike, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yes, my name is Ike Paulet. Um, I'm actually working at Usercentrics as a head of product. Uh, we provide privacy solution uh, formulations to um, empower them to embrace data privacy um, while building trust with their users. Um, actually, um, my role today, I'm probably focused uh, with my teams on our content management platform, Kogibot. I am originally from Germany relocated to Denmark uh, in 2021, uh, living together with my girlfriend here in Copenhagen. Um, and yeah, enjoy my free time to get around Copenhagen, um, uh, go out for food and, and drinks and uh, enjoy life. Perfect, I appreciate the introductions. And now that we've established a little bit of context, let's delve deeper into the topic at hand. So first and foremost, I think it's important that we give a little bit of background into how to create high performing teams. So the first question I'd like to pose is, what defines a high-performing team? And, and I, can, I can go first. Uh, so, so for me, uh, the definition of a high-performing team is, is a group of individuals, uh, highly skilled, competent individuals working together uh, towards, uh, first and foremost, a shared goal, uh, vision, 
uh, they uh, collaborate uh, effectively uh, in creating uh, value uh, continuously to whatever kind of organization that they are in. Uh, so I kind of tend to also talk about high-performing teams as high-impact teams or high-outcome teams, because it makes more uh, sense in my world, because uh, that's what we do on an everyday basis. Uh, but it's uh, it's basically, for me, uh, a group of, of individuals that have found each other with a shared purpose and, and shared sense of, of belonging uh, and work towards delivering uh, value continuously. So that's, uh, that's uh, my take on it. Perfect. And Francesco? Yeah, I, I can go second. And I think, uh, yeah, I very much agree with uh, with you, Peter. Um, I think uh, I think it a team, a high performing team, is a team that works together to to create value, to create long term value in a sustainable in a sustainable uh, way, manner. And I've been actually trying to think. I think there are four uh, elements or four ingredients uh, to 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 that to to how to how to do so. And the first ingredient is that the team needs to, of course, achieve the goal because uh, because if the, the the team doesn't achieve the goal, then it's not a high performing team. Mm -hmm. Or if they're not able to achieve the goal, at least they, it, the team needs to be fully justifying why that specific goal is unachievable. And that's to me is, is is the first point. The second is 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 it needs to be collaborative. There needs to be a collaborative effort towards solving a task, achieving a goal together. Um, and then the third element, in, in in my view, is is that there needs to be an element of knowledge sharing uh, across the team. The cre the team needs to grow, uh, and the need the team needs to share the knowledge within uh, the team itself, but also within the wider company. Uh, and then fourth, uh, or, or, or for me, you know, the the fourth key to to creating a high performing game is, is is a team that creates a pleasant atmosphere, one which is based on mutual trust, a place where people have fun. And want to go, uh, want to be a part of. Uh, they don't just perform, but they have fun uh, in doing so. So, uh, and that's often sometimes a misconception uh, that a team uh, of high-performing individuals is a high-performing team. That's not necessarily true. Uh, there can be teams of highly, very skilled individuals, uh, but uh, if they don't know how to work well together, that could actually be the recipe for disaster. So that's my take on it. <laughs> what do you think, Eike? Uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of things already mentioned um, by you guys. I think uh, for me, what is super important for high-performing teams is that they feel um, some kind of shared ownership um, and, uh, and vision on what they are working on, right? Really um, yeah, accelerate their work towards this um, by also setting clear goals and tracking these goals, make them transparent across the team as well as also outside of the team in, in an organization. Um, and um, I think uh, a very good team is coming with a very diverse skill set, um, whether you work very good together and um, uh, yeah, help each other and uh, bring in different um, perspectives into, into the context. Um, and then um, for me, what is also super important is to um, have a very transparent, um, open feedback culture and communication and being open to uh, to learn very fast and with learning fast also coming fail fail often and learn from your fails don't make the same mistakes twice and uh, learn from it and uh, and grow with it and um, do both invest time into an effort into growing as a team but also growing as individuals so that you as an individual can perform best in the team and give the team everything that the team needs to to success um, yeah and then I think um, last also being very uh, dedicated to 
the problems that the team's working on, right? And trying uh, to, well, yeah, loving the, um, the work that the team is doing and the problems that they solve and um, find solutions for as a team uh, to be successful. What do you think, Pika? Yeah, I definitely think we've hit on like most of the core core points, so to speak. Like, I mean, collaboration is always it's always key. Um, having high trust inside the team and, and knowledge sharing, where there's good flow of information um, inside and outside of the team. Um, I think uh, for me, like, there's always when I hear the term high performing team, I I tend to think about like deliverability. Can the team deliver very well? But the, I think the other part of it is is often, and what I think we're trying to say in many other ways is like, does if we have clear goals and whatever does, well, I think deliverability and all of this often comes down to execution. Like, can the team execute well? But often I feel we leave behind innovation, which in a for me, coming from like a, a fairly product-focused techno company, is is quite key and, and tends to be overlooked. And that's where like you need autonomy and and yeah, you need all these things where people feel the same sense of ownership. You are going for the same goal, but like you also need not just trust inside the team, but from the organization as well to to really achieve you know, innovation as well as good execution. Perfect. Well. It was nice to hear you come to a unison of agreement. I mean, there was a there was a recurring theme there for collaborating, collaborating effectively. But I mean, one thing I'm really looking forward to hearing from four different tech leaders is the day-to-day -day approach and how you go about this. So I know, Peter, your question was very relevant to this. So if you'd like to pose that to the group. Yeah, so my, my question uh, was more, what do you guys individually do as leaders to enable high-performance teams, right, for creating high-performing teams, building the trust, uh, uh, building a team that it delivers efficiently. What do you see kind of enables that? Francesco, any thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, sure. I, I was thinking normally when I when I try to, uh, if, if, if I have to start creating a, a high-performing team, uh, I, I need to put together the right mix the right, the, the right, the right mix of people, the right mix of skills, experience, background, and personality. Um, you know, that's we need, we need, we want the team, and we need the team to be diverse, diverse in terms of background, in terms of also personality, experience. Um, but but diversity is not enough. Diversity without inclusion is is just uh, is 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 just putting you know different people together. But but we need also inclusion, meaning creating the right culture for everyone to shine uh, and everyone to chip in and to feel part of that high-performing team. Um, and, and, and that culture, in my view, is, is a culture that, that, uh, that is based on collaboration. It, it encourages collaboration. It, it it's based on trust. And it's based, as I said, on knowledge sharing. One important element, I think, in creating this culture is really psychological safety. Uh, if people don't feel psychologically safe, within the team to be able to challenge uh, the team, to be able to contribute to the team, to be able to challenge uh, the leader. Uh, if there is no psychological safety, there is no possibility, in my view, for the team to succeed and thrive. So these are the elements that, that I, I, of course, uh, take into account 
course, there needs to be the right pool of people, but uh, I, I imagine that HR have taken care of that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great point in terms of psychological safety. Very relevant model in terms of allowing people to learn from the mistakes. But Ike, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. I think for me, um, what I'm usually trying to do is to, um, in the end, enable the teams to uh, to have everything what they need to succeed to succeed in their job, right? Uh, which could be uh, the right um, setup, uh, the right tooling, the right information, um, the connecting to the right people inside the organization, outside of the organization, and trying to make sure that they have everything at their hand to to be successful, right? And um, then trying to um, to help a team to have a very clear focus on on what they need to solve, right? So a very successful team for me is a team um, that uh, also knows exactly what they're doing and focus on one thing um, and be successful in it, right? And usually what you see when you're, um, and that's not only for teams, that's also for um, for individuals. Um, if you focus on a lot of different things at the same time, it's uh, getting harder and harder to be successful in it, right? So trying to give the team the chance to have a focus on a very specific thing, maybe two or three areas, but uh, in the end, trying to make that um, fitting to the team and also what they achieve um, uh, in, a, in a certain time frame. Um, and coming with this, also setting very clear expectations um, for the team, but also from the team, right? So having a very good sense of expectation management um, within, within the organization. Uh, so to give the team the chance to set expectations for themselves, but also being able to and have full, the full backup to communicate expectations inside um, an organization. Um, and in the end, for me, very important, um, accelerate the ownership of the team um, for, for this focus area that they're working on, right? And making sure that they really um, know what, what they do, but also getting the, um, uh, the props in the end if they succeed in something and feel that they uh, have success, but also failure in um, the area that they're owning uh, so that they, um, they also have the chance to do the best uh, they can um, to get a certain outcome um, and that they really feel it and own it. I think that's for me um, a super important topic. Yeah, um, what about yourself, Berke? Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of things said, but I would kind of start from a lower level. So like, for example, when I when I started Vivino, I took like over a fairly small development team, which was mostly outsourced people, but like, the first thing that I do when I step into a team of people I, I don't really know and I want to, you know, get them to a good place, I, I tend to focus on the execution part first, like, does stuff actually work? Like, is the team able to deliver changes in software, like, um, effectively? Do they have the throughput and can they put the things out with stability? Like, do they have working automated pipelines? Do they can... Are they, do they feel safe putting changes out? Do they get feedback from errors and monitoring and all that stuff? Like okay, for me, that's the basics. And then if things aren't in the place, that's where I would try to rally the team to kind of get them into that area first. And sort of while doing that, I would feel, I guess, if there are dynamics inside the team that are preventing that or holding the team back or whatever, and then kind of take it from there. Like to me, I kind of have to start with, do I have, does, things, does the team work? Can they deliver changes? Do they have the bit of stability they need? And then, you know, does the team function well? Do they have the right the right commit from the, from the organization to make changes? Do they own the things that they're supposed to work in? Do they have 
Ecclesiastes dependencies on other teams and whatnot. And, and a lot of these will come into how the rest of the organization often functions. But so I think there are a lot of ways to do it. But I totally agree, like a team will not function unless everyone has a voice and, and is safe inside the team. They have to be able to bring the bad messages, point out bad things, so you can actually address that. And I think that's where we cut in. Where we kind of started with trust and psychological safety to be important times. Can I, if I can uh, chip in there, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear uh, your focus, Berkey, because uh, as a Scrum Master, I, I focus on, on the process part of things uh, yeah. as, a, as a staff more than the, the tech, technolo technological uh, aspects, right? So uh, and my comment to that was also actually a lower level, uh, but on the process perspective. So building the building the processes that people can actually see themselves working in so that they trust the process. And, and of course, then also building uh, on that the trust between the people and the competencies that each people bring to the team, right? So trust the process and trust the people. But of course, it's it's a it's a mix, right? Uh, so you also need to trust the tooling and the technology and all of that. But but basically, I've experienced that if people can find themselves trusting in the processes and they are described and well defined, of course. They have a clear ident identity in in their roles in the team, and can understand that. Then they will also move faster into the technology technology and, and, and the delivery part. Uh, but of course, it's a mix, and maybe you need to work on both in parallel, right? Yeah, no, no, I, I, to I totally agree with that. I mean, especially like like in my earlier example when I came into a first team, they I had almost no processes, right? Like, of course, first thing, let's get some proper software development lifecycle process inside. You know, let's yeah. let's agree on how we develop, uh, how you how you share code, and, and and how you get you know feedback from your peers and all that. And, and having a, a agreed upon and written process that everyone knows and understands it is quite key to that. I totally agree with you. Certainly an interesting split there, I mean, breaking it down into, I know some of the earlier points made there from Francesco were much more around the people in terms of the psychological safety and having the right skills and personality, but then to break it down on a process level as well. So bringing it back to Francesco's point, when it comes to the right mix of people, I know that Berkey, you said you've had, you've had 12 source development teams and that poses challenges to deliverability, but in terms of the skills and personality, what exactly are you looking for from a high performing team? That was for Francesco, right? Open to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I can, I can, I can take a start at right because Francesco already alluded to 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 parts of it, right? You need you need a, a you need a cross-functional team, and what does cross-functional team mean? It means a mix of the right competencies in order to solve the problem at hand, and and, and you need different levels of uh, seniority in your team. I, I would believe uh, you need somebody with a lot of experience, and you need some with uh, what I would allude to as more drive and energy, uh, and and of course uh, mixed personalities. Some with a sense of structure, some with a sense of uh, drive, and some with a sense of ideas and innovation. So kind of kind of getting that mixed together so so that you have the right balance in the team uh, otherwise you could end up either never delivering something or delivering all the 
wrong stuff. So, um, but I think it's kind of finding that uh, good mix of uh, competencies and, and seniority, uh, at least that's my uh, initial I, I agree, Peter, and personalities as well, because because yeah. uh, yeah. people are different and they tend yeah. to uh, they tend to work differently and having different attitudes toward collaboration, uh, towards uh, knowledge sharing, towards uh, accountability and, and, and the process of working together. Uh, there's the more process oriented, the more uh, goal oriented people. So I think uh, I think diversity spans a, a very wide uh, range of, uh, of skill sets and personalities. Yeah. I agree on this. Um, I mean, in, in the end, you need to, to look into, obviously, into, into certain skills that you need for, for what the team is working on, right? I mean, that's um, obviously the case. Um, but then uh, exactly what you said, like uh, very clear, um, also soft skills that you want to uh, in collaboration um, as a team, right? So you want to make sure uh, that um, that you are a team player, um, that you uh, are able to um, to work with others, um, and also uh, have um, uh, the right level of respect um, for for others and also for for opinions, right? I mean, in the end, a good outcome of a discussion is something not where um, uh, everything is enforced into one direction, but more where you as a team can uh, can respect um, different opinions and um, get the best out of it and get like from the diversity that you have in the team um, the right output uh, so to to take the right decisions in the end right um, so that's uh, for me also one very important thing when talking about about setting up a team uh, making sure that everybody has um, the right skills to communicate in a fair and transparent but um, also respectful way uh, to to achieve the right um, the right output, and then I think we still need to set the stage as a team and uh, define how you want to collaborate and work together. Um, but bringing this as a skill set is already a very um, big um, yeah good, a good starting point. And on that note, I think we've covered a fair few perspectives on elements that you focus on as leaders, and I know that you did briefly mention it earlier on. I in terms of the um, enabling ownership, you did briefly touch on it. And I know that you have a question to post to the group in respect to that. So if you'd like to put that forward. Um, yes, so for me, um, we already talked a bit um, about also how a team works in, in an organization, right? And that there is also the question of how does the organization have impact um, on the team? And, and for me, uh, one um, important part is definitely feeling the ownership and working some count um, autonomously, right? So you want to have a team uh, that can um, uh, take own decisions um, in a agreed way on um, how to get to the best outcome in the end, right, as a team. And for me, um, what you see often in organizations is that uh, there's obviously a lot of um, pressure, often there's a lot of uh, top-down decision-making, um, and then uh, more and more teams do not have the feeling to be able to be in the driver's seat for, for their area and um, this costing their ownership. And for me, the question is how we, um, as an organization, um, how can we um, help the teams to feel the ownership and to enable this ownership and also working autonomously enough to take actions um, and achieve a good outcome? <laughs> You, you remove all the leaders that dictate how to how to solve the problems. <laughs> no. What do you guys think? Take care.
Yeah, no, I do feel we're, we're, we're all kind of coming from the same kind of uh, mindset, so to speak. Like, uh, yeah, what do you do to to enable autonomy in a team, and how do you get them to to yeah take ownership and, and act for their best interest? And often, as you as you said, it's the it's it's the organization itself that is trying to control the teams, and and some level they have to, right? Uh, but you know, to what extent can a team operate by itself? But I, I do find it interesting because I think a lot of these are a lot more contextual than we are probably willing to admit. I mean, not all all of these work from all stages of companies or for all kinds of companies. So I think I feel like we're we're all kind of very much describing, which is a model which fits very product or customer oriented uh, companies that are focused on kind of tech innovation and, and delivery. And I don't know, are we are we all working for those kind of companies? <laughs> well well in, in my in my background uh, and in and in my company we, we focus on execution, right? We yeah. focus on 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 uh, delivering a project uh, within budget, within time. So, so there is a real, uh, you know, a classical element of old school project management in, in what we do. You know, we have <laughs> we have huge construction, uh, you know, uh, construction projects that that we need to deliver. We need to deliver yeah. power at a certain time. So, uh, so for us, it's uh, in us that at least where, where I come from, I come from the execu execution part of, of of the business. Of course, the focus is on delivering. A project on time, on budget, and within the quality uh, and the specifications agreed uh, with with yeah. with. Uh, exactly, exactly. When you have when you have that, you put huge constraints on both the autonomy and the the, the innovation that the team can can deliver, right? Yes, yes and no. I mean, of course, we have some very well defined constraints, but uh, but in terms of how we can enable ownership, which is the question here, and how we can keep teams working autonomously uh what i like to do is 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 i like i like the team to take ownership i like to delegate tasks without necessarily uh giving the team the solution giving the team the recipe mm -hmm. I, I would like to give the team the problem uh show the goal and let the team find their way through that obviously means that you have to accept a certain amount of failure and experimenting but it's also through this failure and experimenting that you actually move the organization forward that you uh, actually, even in an execution phase, like the one where I work for, you uh, spark innovation, right? And and we do this by by obviously delegating hardly, but also focusing on continual and mutual feedback, both within the team, but also from the team to the management and vice versa. Uh, it's a two-way uh, mutual feedback. Uh, another thing that, that that we've been trying to do actually is to try to create teams based on people's own interests. You know, who who in the company uh, within the delivery, uh, the project execution, uh, you know, um, part of the organization is interested in chipping in, in, in contributing to this specific project. There is actually plenty of research that shows that that actually one of the bigger motivators is actually personal interest, you know, uh, and and it's actually a, a KPI for success. You know, you 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 can you can figure out which project will be successful by by understanding how many people are actually interested in what they do and how much of of, of they uh, themselves they bring into uh, in, into the project. 
But obviously, this also requires a more flexible approach to job titles and, and job descriptions uh, and or responsibilities, which is something that maybe it's easier for startups and smaller companies. And it's a little bit more complicated in bigger organizations that have these very uh, heavy corporate structures in, in, in play. But nevertheless, that's what I try to do. And that's what we try to do, even in us, that, that comes from a very uh, you know, uh, execution-oriented uh, focus. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's that's our approach. What 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 do you think, Eike? Uh, yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. I mean, in the end, um, what you said of uh, of giving a problem, um, giving also the freedom in, in the way how to solve the problem. That is exactly what you what you want to achieve, right? So, like feeling the ownership of of getting this solved and also being then proud of. Um, of when you have it solved um, and getting the good feedback for it. And that's, uh, I think, very, very good point. Um, I think also by making also very clear what the expectations are for a team um, and uh, so trying to not change these kind of expectations um, all the time um, so that you that you can also feel to, um, I think we talked about feeling safe, um, also to uh, deliver on something and work on something, being successful and then um, having also a good successful feeling about it. I think that's super important because this is helping to um, to like what you're doing and to have the interest in it, right, as you said. Um, and I think that's, um, that's a very good point. Um, I think for me, it's also um, very important to be transparent um, in uh, in what you, what you measure as success, right? Um, so as an organization, if you think about how to, to enable this is making sure you you know um, how to measure it. Um, you show very transparent that you are successful, who is successful, um, and um, how you can become successful as a team, um, and helping the team on exactly doing this, um, and trying to, uh, yeah, to give the team the stage to um, to work on this together and make sure that they can own it and that they can work autonomously on this, and fitting in their ideas into their delivery in the end. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, you guys say, say so many smart things. So so may, maybe it's my time to chip in something about the uh, the agile methodology here because uh, for me for me all of this falls in line with everything uh, in, inside working uh, agile uh, and working in. Uh, in agile product development uh, teams, I think that was also what you were kind of alluding to, Bert. Here, uh, even though that I sit in a classical uh, waterfall organization delivering uh, uh, pharmaceutical uh, products, uh, we are trying to organize differently, uh, and by that, uh, trying to find methods organization-wise in a big organization how to empower the teams uh, better right but it's a it's a real struggle uh, but it is as you also mentioned francesco giving the teams the problem and the ownership of identifying how to get from a to b right not telling them to get uh, how to get from a to b but giving the possibility to actually identify the right solutions, maybe there are more ways from uh, uh, on getting from A to B than than we uh, ourselves could imagine, right? So, um, <clears throat> but all that lies within sort of working agile, working Scrum, uh, the iterative learning processes, the fail fast, learn fast, uh, getting the feedback, 
uh, and, and constantly working on being more effective in the delivery uh, process. Uh, but again, it's really difficult. It's hard. It's a hard exercise to change that mindset of not coming into a room and saying, we need to cross the river and we need to build a bridge, right? Uh, so go do that uh, instead. This is a problem. Try to figure out how to solve it the best way. Um, I think it's really key, as, as you're saying, like if that not all organizations are set up for it and to change an organization from being such a top-down organization where we, like, yeah, we want to accomplish this and now you have to go execute it versus we have a problem, can you solve it? Mm. And it's, mm. it's a quite a quite a fundamental hard shift, especially if you don't have it. It, it's a it's a it's a paradigm shift, right? You yeah. really need to, and also from from a management perspective, you need to really dive in deep in yeah. order to let go, right? Uh, and say uh, this this is a problem. You guys fix it. Find a good way to solve it. Right. Uh, no, I think one element that you that is also um, being in there is trust, right? I mean, we talked about trust before inside the team and trust each other, but here it's also about as an organization trust your team that they will be successful right which is a hard thing obviously especially i mean um i'm also from the more startup world um, and especially there if you have founder that um that needs to give away their baby and it's the same thing that we have in, in the management direction um that's an issue you need to have the trust for it right and and psychological safety right because Trust is one thing, but psychological safety is 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 another, right? And it goes in line with okay, maybe down the road here, in order for us to succeed, we will actually fail a lot, and that's okay. And it takes some time. It might take more time than we expect, but once we get there, we will actually move forward faster, based on the learnings that we've had, right? Uh, but we need to capture the learnings very fast, rather than waiting three years and then we figure out that we built something that was completely not usable. Yeah. yeah, I think there's some great takeaways from that there, especially on a proactive level. So for leaders listening, in terms of instilling trust in your teams, continual mutual feedback and flexibility in and around job titles. And I know that Berkey, you posed this question earlier and we've almost flirted with the idea of the organizational structure throughout this question. But I think the diversity in the panel of coming from different organization sizes and different scales. I mean, I know that you've got a question that directly addresses this, so it'd be intriguing to hear people's take on that. Yeah, yeah. So my question was if there are particular organization structures that contribute most to or are most highly correlated with high performing teams. And I think we've definitely addressed it to a part, but uh, let's, let's go around the room. And, um, Francesco, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Seems like I'm the one starting here. Yeah, sure. No, I've, I've been thinking about that. It's actually a very good question. How, what organizational structures contribute the most? And and for me, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, delegating tasks heartily, focusing on mutual feedback. Well, I think the typical flat hierarchical, you know, flat structure structure, which is not so hierarchical, but allows people to you know collaborate across the board uh, people being encouraged to challenge each other's and, and and challenge the management there needs to be uh, an element of flatness for which we in in, in the Nordic countries are, are quite uh, are quite uh, I think uh, famous or, or at least we like to think we are at least 
but uh, I, I, th I think it's important to also notice that 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 there's also sometimes a misconception from from other cultures and other countries about what a what a hierarch flat hierarchical structure is or flat structure is, right? Because there's also this this sometimes this uh, fear that uh, there will be inability of making decision, uh, team paralysis. But I, I think it's also important to notice that a flat structure should also be a structure where we as, as, as managers, as a leader, should be encouraging you know, people to make decisions and then work together, sticking to that decision once that those decisions have been made by the team and not working against each other. Because that's also something that I've, I've, I've experienced several times in my career, where, where the, the structure is so flat that, that you know, mm. creates this team paralysis. And we don't want that. We certainly, we don't want that. <laughs> we want to encourage collaboration and, and challenging each other, but at the same time, we want people to take ownership and once the decisions be made, you know, go for it. Uh, so there is, there is also, in, in, in my view, you know, this, this sense of team spirit and, and sense of purpose of belonging uh, to a team, which is very, very important to, uh, and, 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 and the organization should be uh, fostering uh, this, this team spirit. Uh, the organization should also be be making sure that the responsibility is is distributed across the team. You know, uh, not making sure that there are specific uh, you know uh, sectors of power or, or or people that hold power and 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 use or misuse of that. And and so it, it is a fine it is a fine line. It's, it's not it's not easy. But uh, but but as we said several times, uh, you know, having a flat uh, structure but also making sure that there is accountability and at the same time space for errors and learning from mistakes. I think it's really key. So, so I'm, I'm all in for a more flat, uh, flat structure, Nordic style, I would say. It's, it's what uh, in my you know, experience has really uh, benefited uh, the most in, 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 into uh, you know, creating high-performing teams. What is, uh, what is your take on that, Peter? I'm, I'm just sitting and thinking because I, I i agree to the flat hierarchy but but i i to some extent would see if you would reach some kind of paralysis is if there's some kind of accountability missing in there so who's accountable but maybe you can build that up in the team in the flat structure but my experience is that we as people and we as teams always need to feel that somebody is at least accountable for something, some decision, some protecting the team, or I, I, I don't know how to point it correctly, but, but at least I could, I could see Francesco from this flat hierarchy that I completely agree would work really, it's ideal, uh, and people collaborate, but if there's no sense of accountability, either within the team or upwards, then maybe reach some kind of paralysis i, I don't know uh, what you're i agree thinking. that's where disaster yeah. starts right? yeah yeah that's right absolutely correct and it's about finding a fine balance between uh, between having that flat structure that 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 allows and encourages people to challenge each other and and make and and have that sense of ownership of decisions and at the same time <laughs> keeping the team accountable or specific people in the team accountable for those decisions it yes. is it is not an easy one i have to say it's uh, no. I, I, I wish I had the, uh, <laughs> the magic yeah. wand for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I can't... Uh, sorry, Peter, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to to break this question. I think for me, uh, inspirations, I sometimes look towards the military. I unfortunately have never been in the military myself, but, but, but 
But for instance, looking at the special forces, right? Uh, I had a, an inspirational session once from a guy in the special forces, right? And basically, they of course have real clear roles and responsibilities. They really have sort of this guy takes care of this, this guy takes care of this, this guy takes care of this. And they shared everything across, right? From even having a small blister on underneath the foot, uh, because that could meant that the 40 kilometers that they need to walk the next day would really be troublesome, right? And they needed to all know that. Not saying that you can take that into your eight to four job, because it's a different context. But for me, at least, I like that sense of uh, let's share everything. Let's be vulnerable together. Let's uh, ensure that uh, we together through this vulnerability creates this trust and psychological safety, uh, both around the problems at work, maybe also in your in your personal life. So I kind of tend to get the inspiration from the military, not saying that it, I can pull everything into a large organization as Novo Nordisk, but uh, uh, yeah. It's yeah, sorry, like, the, the military in, yeah. in Denmark works a little bit different than in other countries. So. <laughs> that's also something maybe. to keep in mind. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's very interesting. I think I mean, for me also, um, the first thing that would come to my mind is uh, talk about uh, as, pos uh, as flat as possible structures in an organization, right, to not blow it up. I think the, the big challenge that is coming, um, especially when you look into different, um, uh, yeah, different growth stages of a company um, is, is definitely that uh, communication is an issue, right? So as, um, as bigger you are, as um, bigger problems you also have with your communication um, across the company. And that's something to be fixed, right? Because I think if you, if you know what you, what you can do and what you maybe can't do and what somebody else should do, then you can also then um, this whole topic is becoming clearer, right? And you can make better decisions as, a, as an individual or as a team. Um, so I think um, as an organization, being very clear in your frameworks on especially decision-making processes and um, implementing this and making sure who's accountable, uh, who makes the decision um, and, and who executes something is, uh, is super, super important. And also having the right um, information set and the right tool set for um, assigning and delegating um, uh, topics between teams and between the organization, right? And being aware of this. And that's usually something that is uh, missing in a lot of um, setups where you um, also don't really know who can I assign now um, a topic? Who can I ask for something? Um, and uh, especially in a context when you um, have like uh, reporting structures, then this is usually getting an issue, right? Who can make this decision? Do I need to consult somebody or can I make this decision alone? Um, and making sure that you that you use the right tool set to uh, answer these questions for your teams. I think that's super important because um, that's something that is holding a lot of people back to um, just execute something is, do I need to ask somebody for this? Or maybe I can't reach this person because this person is always in meetings. So uh, what am I doing now? And then this is stopping... Um, uh, stopping your flow, right? And I think answering these questions, so fixing communication um, and making sure that you have like a very good structure in decision-making process and responsibility assignment. Um, I think that's, uh, as an organization, a very good um, recipe to, um, to enable teams. I think some great differences in perspective there in terms of a completely flat hierarchy as opposed to almost a military structure. I think the two juxtapose each other, but it's interesting to hear how both are justified within different organizations and how that works firsthand. 
I mean, Berkeley, you posed this question to the group, so I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on the organisational structure. Yeah, yeah, I think I think there are a few things, and and like one is is you know I was talking flat or hierarchical as we, as we have sort of been talking about, and um, I think I think it can be tricky. Like it's it's like you can start with a very flat organization, and then HR comes in and decides everything. Everyone needs to fit into this new software they bought, which defines a hierarchical structure, and that determines who decides who's pay. And now all of a sudden you have something completely different. <laughs> But I think I think it's almost it's a side question to to one of the important ones, which is is more the culture of the organization that you're developing. I think a lot of the things we've been talking about, like I, I've taken a lot of my inspiration for this stuff from 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 Google and and the the research that the uh, the DevOps research and assessment organization did. Like they they really clearly defined you know what are the What's the right culture for achieving a lot of this? And, and they call it the Western organizational culture. And it goes out, it basically touches on everything we've been discussing. I think, um, you know, being performance oriented versus power oriented and high cooperation and don't shoot your messengers, you know, train them to, to do things the right way and everyone shares the risk and, and all this stuff. And, and so, so those are kind of the, the factors that I, I tend to focus on and make sure that everything is, is, is right. Like, Failure leads to inquiry rather than pointing fingers and stuff like that. So having that kind of culture and setting that kind of examples, it's like like the saying goes, you know, culture, culture, culture eats the business for breakfast. So so that tends to be the uh, to the, the main focus for me. And you know, organizations come in various sizes and, and structures. So but if you can facilitate this kind of culture, I think you're largely the only way to success. Yeah, certainly some great insights, different perspectives, and it was certainly great to hear from different leaders of different organizations. I mean, one thing I picked up on from, I know, Burke here, Peter, tonight, is the multi-located developers at the organizations. I can't speak for Francesco, but I know that a question you've put forward is in regard to the new way of working, especially in respect to the hybrid and remote element of work. So I'm intrigued to hear people's takes on that. So if you'd like to pose your question to the group. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I I was actually curious to hear your take about, you know, how is basically remote or hybrid working impacting and changing our, our ability to create and manage high performing teams. Obviously, we are we have been moving over the past uh, few years, at least in my industry, because previously it was not it was not so uh, it, it was not so common, but certainly after COVID uh, and during and after COVID, we, we have moved dramatically into a very different way of working together. A hybrid model where some people come to the office, some people uh, work entirely remotely. Uh, it, 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 is, it is really changing the way we work and it's also changing the way as, as we create and are able to manage high performance teams. I was really curious to hear about your your reflections, your experience uh, over the past couple of years. How, how has this impacted you? You and your teams and and, and your businesses. Hey, could you wanna you wanna share your thoughts? Yes, of course. I think that um, for me, um, I was like always in the office uh, before COVID and uh, was like very used to this, right? Um, and that was definitely a change. I think it was also um, a nice thing that we all shared this at the same moment together, right? So therefore, it was easier for a lot of different companies um, to to implement this into into their processes. Um, but I think that um, 
it has like very some pros and cons, right? So you, um, I think it's super great that you are able to also set up teams in a way uh, that you get the right skill set, no matter of um, location, right? So you are not um, bound to um, to clear. You know, people need to work in the same city to to form a team, right? You could also do that um, for um, uh, yeah for remote working setups, and I think that's great. That's a, that's a very good thing. Uh, you're also more flexible, also in um, in yeah managing your life with work right so the whole talking about work-life balance i think that's something that i enjoyed also by um as a german moving to denmark something that i that i learned um on um also having a different way of managing um work-life balance differently and this is obviously giving you in a hybrid or remote setup um more flexibility at the same time for me i think we talked a lot about trust and um and bring people together and um i think that's definitely something that is lacking a bit right because it's harder to build up the trust to and it's, it's just different than when you sit in the same uh, same room together and um just have a quick chat over the desk and uh, make a decision together or learn something together or fail together all the things that we said right uh, that's way easier and to to bring people together um, but I think that also works in a, in a hybrid or remote uh, model. You just need to invest more um, as an organization on making sure that you're bringing people together from time to time and uh, make sure that they find their way of working together. Um, and I think then it's also completely fine to uh, spend some time not together uh, in the same room um, as long as you as you know each other and build the trust uh, with each other and make sure that you um, know a little bit the person behind because you're missing out all the coffee chats um, uh, at the coffee machine, right? Um, and I think that's uh, that's super important to to enable the teams to uh, to come together and build up this um, this trust in these relationships. What do you think, Birkia? Yeah, I think a lot of truth in that. Um, I think there's a slight well, I I think there's a slight uh, disconnect in how people and workers view it versus how companies view it, like. I think mostly for workers, it's a, it's a flexibility question, whereas companies tend to look at it as a, as a trade-off in terms of talent acquisition. But for me, it's mostly about like uh, communication loops, like, you know, lo local, if everyone's local, it's easiest, especially if you're in an early startup, because the communication loops are really, really quick and efficient. So you can get, you know, good traction, do things really fast, but you tend to lose track over time because everything was all decisions were made in a room and no one knows who made them or why anymore uh, whereas if you're fully remote you can get a lot of stuff for free because you're forced to communicate in like a written form to a large extent which means decision tracking is almost there already and and but collaboration is harder but you know and because the communication loops are slower you have to write everything down you have to think about it you have to everyone has to kind of work ahead and plan a lot more um, but the tools for this are getting a lot better, are really good at this point, right? So I don't think either is a is a block for for high performance team in any way. But I do think hybrid is the hardest because you have both local, but then you need to reflect it all to remote, which means you need to have all these processes about like, okay, how are we going to document decisions and then share them? So as to prevent remote people from from becoming like second class workers or have not being able to participate in discussions and, and decisions. Um, Peter, what's your experience there? Yeah, um, I'm kind of sitting with the feeling that I, I want to say that, that I actually think that 
that working hybrid and and remote is is a is a major impediment for for creating true high performing teams, right? Because because you kind of lose out on the social fabrics, as you as all of you mentioned, right? The the informal coffee talk, the uh, the chatter across the room, the uh, decision making that happens when you are co-located, right? Uh, so I I I I think that that to some extent it it slows the process down, right? It it uh, you 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 won't connect immediately the same way as you would do if you spend uh, eight hours together uh, in a, in an office every day. Uh, but on the other hand, as you also mentioned, Bert, the the, the tooling uh, makes it possible for us to connect virtually, and it, it makes it possible for us to uh, have have a setting where we can actually have the chat uh, in Teams or other uh, uh, other forums, right? Uh, so so. So I'm not I'm not saying it's impossible and and it has worked for me. Uh, I I try to practice it myself by not thinking about it as remote teams at all. So just thinking that I have people around me and if I need to talk to them, I just chat them. Right. Uh, so so I think it can work, but I would lie if I didn't say it. It's a bit harder uh, today than it was three years ago. Uh, so, so you kind of lose out on the on the social fabric. That's actually also quite important, uh, I I think. Yeah, I fully agree. I think it certainly makes it more difficult. I think you put some great points forward there about the, the social fabrics, and you did briefly mention in terms of teams. But I'm interested to know what other tools and, and ways of you know bringing people together in this remote and hybrid work model. What else do you use at your organisations? So, so in in uh, I think you. We we need to think about creating that social fabric in some kind of different way virtually, uh, right? In my current team, we have uh, uh, a couple of people located in in Poland, uh, and, and a couple located here in in Denmark, right? Uh, and of course, we need to create some kind of uh, belonging uh, and and meet informally, not to talk about work. So we of course try to to set that up. Uh, but again, it does not give the, uh, to be honest, it does not give the same feeling as if we were standing across the coffee machine uh, in, in the office, right? So, so it's possible, but it, as, as I think some of you said, it does just require a lot more work and consideration all the time uh, to, to create that environment. Uh, that's my honest opinion. Yeah. And um, what about yourself, Francesco? I know this was a question that you posed. What's your take on it? Well, I, I I agree with a lot of the things that were said. I see both challenges uh, as well as opportunities. I, I think we've named a lot of these challenges, difficult in communications, especially across time zones. This time mm -hmm. is, is still an element which is important. Uh, lack of face-to-face -face interaction and, and also sometimes the fact that we are you know more easily putting together wildly different cultures that sometimes do struggle talking with each other. Let's let's just face it, that there are fundamental cultural differences in some of this multicultural, uh, you know, uh, teams spread around the globe, right? Uh, something that I've also experienced in my career. And, and they migrate segmentation because then you start creating, you know, like sub teams within a team, you know, like the people from the team, whatever, in 
South Korea, whatever, wherever it is, speaking with uh, with each other, and and then the Danes also uh, hanging on w with them. So, so what we, how we've tried to to do about these challenges is is to actually try to make people come physically together a couple yeah. of times a year. It has costs. Let's face it. You know, what you save uh, on one side you, and what you gain on one side, you actually lose it on the other. But there's also opportunities. It's not just challenges. I think. Mm. I think what I've, I've noticed is that typically Gen Ys and Gen Zs, you know, the youngers <laughs> in our workforce, they they actually are more quick and easy to collaborate across uh, across Microsoft Teams or across this you know virtual collaborating platform, right? And they even like that more than people from you know millennials, Gen, Gen X or millennials, right? Uh, there is also as an opportunity, the possibility of easily, more easily putting together cross-cultural teams, right? Uh, because they naturally come across if you've got offices distributed across the globe. Uh, and there's also a possibility, why not working asynchronously, uh, meaning potentially around the clock, <laughs> although it requires a lot of collaboration, right? And, and a lot of coordination to, to do so. Uh, what I've also found out in, in my experience is that it's easier, it's become easier for us to more easily subcontract work and keep track of that work that we subcontract to whatever uh, subcontractor that is located in another side of, of the globe uh, where needed. So I honestly don't know. I, I see it. <laughs> I see both challenges as well as opportunities, and 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 they're very much uh, industry related, right? And based based on what we do and how we do it, right? Uh, I see your concerns, Peter, and 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 also Bjerke, and 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 I also I, I also see potentially loads of value in this. Let let's see how it's gonna pan out. So at this stage, I know that everybody's questions have been addressed, but I'd just like to say, is there anything? anybody would like to add or perhaps any further questions you have for anybody else on the panel in which case i'd like to thank you all for your participation you've made some great points and come to a unison of agreement and even disparity of opinion at times so it'll be a great listen if you'd like to join in on a future episode feel free to reach out to me on linkedin connor leyland or drop me an email at connor leyland at evolution.nordics.com see you all soon